As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. We don't want to push ourselves to be like, all right, we haven't done a deal in five months. We have to do the next deal that we get. Even though it's a bad deal, we you know, fudge the numbers and make it make sense. No, having no deal at all in the moment is much better than doing a bad deal and completely screwing ourselves over forever with those investors. Isn't it just the best when a software comes out that makes your life easier, makes you more money, and by the way, it's free? Well, welcome to Stessa, today's best ever sponsor. Stessa is a smarter income and expense tracking software for property owners. It allows you to track, manage, and communicate the performance of your real estate assets. So basically, it helps you make more money by looking at your properties in one dashboard. It's a beautiful dashboard, by the way. And it shows you the KPIs, the key performance indicators that you care about. What's the value? How much cash flow are you getting? What's the debt that you have on the properties? What are you bringing in monthly? What are you bringing in annually? And it allows you to have a quick snapshot, not only of your properties, but also come tax time, it's a breeze because you can scan receipts and invoices directly from the phone app and Stessa will automatically read and categorize them for you. No more data entry. It's been talked about in Forbes, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and all it takes is just a few minutes to add your properties, link the accounts, and everything updates in real time. Without Stessa, I was looking at my portfolio on an infrequent basis. I'm talking about my single family home portfolio. I got three single family homes and I didn't realize that I had trapped equity. But if I was looking at it from a dashboard that Stessa has, then I would have realized that, hey, I got a portfolio value of X and I've got debt on it of Y. Holy cow, look at all this trapped equity. I'm missing out. And with Stessa, that won't happen. So go to stessa.com forward slash best ever. And it's free. It's free. Stessa.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. We got follow along Friday today. I hope you're having a best ever Friday and like we normally do on follow along Friday, we will be talking about what we've learned as well as some observations. And by we, I mean Theo Hicks and I, and it's all about what we can do to help you on your real estate journey. So we're going to kick it off. Theo, how do we want to start it off? 
So today we want to have a little conversation about the commercial real estate economy. So we've got a couple of statistics that we're going to go through and kind of just have a conversation about that and see where it goes. So do you want to kind of lead that, Joe? Yeah. So I have fairly recently been a subscriber to the Wall Street Journal and I'm really digging it. Lots of good content. I've always subscribed to the Dallas Morning News. Most of our portfolio is in Dallas, Fort Worth. So I better have some intel on DFW through that newspaper. And there are a couple articles and data points really that I've come across recently that I just wanted to point out. And if for nothing else, it's important that we take note of them and whatever we want to do with them, it's up to us just like any data or really any piece of information in life. It's up to us to interpret it how we choose to. And one thing that I read, and this really surprised me, that mortgage defaults in the United States are the lowest they have been in 18 years. This is as of this past November. Mm -hmm. So over the last 18 years, we've now set a record for the fewest or the least amount of people defaulting on their mortgages. And a fun fact, I looked at the chart and it looks like San Francisco has the lowest default rate. So props to you, San Francisco people. And what I find interesting is, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Because that's a stat, but what are the implications and why is that the case? You always have to ask the question why. And one consideration I think that we should take into account is, that people are better qualified now for their loans because the lending requirements did get more strict as they should have since 2008. But I mean, we're 11 years now past 2008, so surely it's more than that. Well, then there's something else when we combine this information with another article I came across, and that is that the percent of renters have increased 20% since 2008. And that's probably not as surprising to best ever listeners. But what I found surprising is from 2005 to today, renters have increased by approximately 2%. 2015. Thank you. 2015 to today. So I think we can all agree that the economy has been humming along quite nicely since 2015. And for the percent of renters to increase, not total number of renters, but percent of total households who rent has increased since 2015 to today, while the economy has been humming along nicely. Well, that says something Mm -hmm. about our approach as Americans for renting versus owning. And when you combine how we're at the lowest amount of defaults for over the last 18 years with that we're renting more, That leads me to believe that one, people who are qualifying for the mortgages are truly qualified, and two, that we're continuing to be a nation of renters. And Theo, you and I are in the right business. (laughs) When you initially told me that statistic about we hit the lowest point in 18 years in regards to the mortgage defaults, I didn't really know how to think about that. But once you mentioned that it likely has to do with more qualified people actually renting that completely makes sense because obviously we're talking over an 18-year point. And back in 2008, that time period, there's probably people that were not as qualified that were owning a home. 
And once they experienced 2008, they're like, okay, now let's just rent instead. You have to qualify for rentals, but the qualification is streamlined and simpler than it is to qualify for a loan. So I'd be curious to see the lowest point of those mortgage defaults in 18 years. But over those 18 years, what was the growth or I guess reduction in the actual number of mortgages? And if it is indeed going down, that kind of proves your point that less people are are getting those mortgages because they're likely not qualifying for them. Banks aren't doing those crazy loans anymore. They're staying to their strict standards because they don't want to get punched in the face again, like 2008 recession. And when you hear the fact that since 2015, and I guess a little earlier that the economy has been doing so well, during that time, people are making a ton of money. You'd expect them to go out and buy a house. And some people obviously are, but if renting is going up, then that means that homeownership has to be going down because there's only really two options. Mm-hmm. So if renting is going up when the economy is really good, what do you think is going to happen if something bad happens to the economy? And I know it's been going well for so long. A lot of people, you see this on Facebook, bigger pockets, people doing blog posts with their predictions of when the market's going to take a turn again. Like I just saw an article today, all these economists are saying that we're headed for another recession. So for some real estate professionals, that might scare them. But as a multifamily investor, in general, that shouldn't scare you because you know that people are going to have to rent. But then when you see the fact that since 2015, you know, the stock market's gone up a ton and renting is increasing, that number is just going to have to go up even higher if a recession were to happen. Now, the only consideration of why it wouldn't go up even more is that the fact that those mortgage defaults are so low. So it's going to continue to increase by that percentage, most likely. This is just my opinion. But it's probably not going to be as large of an influx of renters if there were a recession because of the fact that the people that are not renting, that are buying or owning, aren't defaulting on their loans right now. Right. They're going to stay put with their ownership, and then the renters are going to stay put with renting. And yeah, you mentioned the elephant in the room, and there's likely a recession coming. I don't know when, or, or at least a correction. But when the times have been very good from an economic standpoint and the renter percentages are increasing, then it's highly likely that when the times are worse than they are today from an economic standpoint, that the renters are going to at least remain flat, but probably going to increase slightly. So as landlords... I wonder, and this is something I don't know, I wonder for all the other economic cycles in our history, if percent rentership has increased during the good times. I wonder if that's ever taken Mm -hmm. place before. That'd be something interesting to look at. If this is the first time where when the economy has just been flourishing, the percent of households has actually increased for renters. Because I would think typically when the economy's flourishing, people historically have been purchasing more homes. But that's what caught my eye since 2015. It's actually increased 2% according to that Wall Street Journal article. Yeah, I got a note to look that up because we definitely want to write a blog post going into a lot more detail on kind of the conversation we're talking about today and kind of just historically seeing, okay, has this ever happened before that this economy's doing really well while rentership is also increasing? Yeah. Something else too that's interesting that I was thinking about as well is that obviously I'm looking for apartments in Tampa, but I'm also still looking to invest personally in Cincinnati. And I'd probably say for the past maybe year, year and a half, the majority of the deals, actually all the deals that I get, and I just do the the MLS, so I get those automated emails. And then I am still doing the, the direct mailing, but even on those deals, and I'm not getting many of those, but still, even if ones come through, the prices they're asking for are just so insanely high. 
and the MLS, I know those deals are selling close to list price. And from someone who's looking for cash flow, I mean, the deals make no sense whatsoever. These are duplexes and fourplexes. I'm not talking large multifamily. I'm just curious to see what the strategy is of the people who are buying them because there's no way for them to actually cash flow. So I'm just curious to see what's going to happen if there were to be a correction, what's going to happen with those types of properties specifically. Even if it's 5% of them that can no longer hang on to their property, they're going to sell them at a reduced price. And so I'm not saying that I'm looking forward to this happening, but when it does happen, I want to make sure that I'm ready to buy because I really like the Cincinnati market, those duplexes and fourplexes. Just right now, even in Norwood, I know if you're not from Cincinnati, you don't know that area, but it's probably a C area. It's got some low-income people. There's a couple of businesses that move in there every once in a while. It's technically not even a part of the city of Cincinnati, so the taxes are a little bit higher. And just a year and a half ago, you could buy a duplex for 120 to 140 that rented for 1400 1600 bucks. And now, the past couple of weeks, I've seen those same types of duplexes going for over $200,000 at the same current rents. You know, some of them are, are renting for five fifty dollars per unit. So you've got you know, $1,100 in rent selling for $200,000. I don't understand how that could cash flow because you're not going to be pushing those rents any higher than a couple hundred bucks. And that's so, the thing. Yeah, the only, the only way I can think of is if they have a value add play where they're renovating the interiors and pushing rents. But if you're saying that's not feasible. It's really not in that market, at least yeah. right now. So I guess the whole point is I'm curious to see what happens to those types of properties. We know what's likely going to happen to single family. We know what's likely going to happen on the larger scale, but kind of the middle of the road. And another thing too, is that's where people who aren't as experienced, I guess there's a higher proportion of people that aren't as experienced pursuing those types of deals because duplex and the fourplex are perceived to be easier than eight unit, 10 unit, 20 unit, and they're less expensive to get into. So I'm just assuming that some of the people that are buying these properties aren't as experienced as they would like to be. So, Yeah. And it's likely those individuals have full-time jobs, which might get affected during a correction, an mm-hmm. economic downturn. So then you've got a perfect storm of bad stuff, unfortunately for them, where they could get a hit on their salary or lose their salary with the job that goes away and they've got a negative cash flowing property and now you got some trouble. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, adhere to the three immutable laws of real estate investing. If you don't know what those are, then just Google Joe Fairless, three immutable laws of real estate investing, and then you should be all right when a correction takes place. It's funny. That's exactly what I was going to say too. I was in bigger pockets yesterday and someone had asked all these questions about the economy. I saw a really good response. I was saying, we've kind of hit that is that there's millions of factors that go into the economy. So it's impossible to predict what factor is going to affect something else that could lead to this. So instead, just make sure you're conservatively underwriting deals. My response was three minute laws of real estate investing. Yep. There you go. That came from interviewing thousands of real estate investors and hearing their stories. And I was like, wait a second, some common things here. What are some common denominators? So the second thing real quick, separate from that conversation, the second interesting thing that I thought would be of interest to everyone listening And while it is DFW specific, Dallas-Fort Worth specific, it is interesting for any investor who is investing in any market. So the thing I read in DFW, there are about 700,000 apartments in DFW. And they range from efficiency to four bedrooms, maybe four bedrooms. I haven't come across probably four bedrooms, but I'm sure there are. And of the percent rent growth last year, for each unit size, so efficiency, 
one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, and I'll throw in fourth just in case there's a couple. Well, the highest percent rent growth was an efficiency apartment. They had the highest percent increase in rent last year, but there are only 19,000 of those in all of DFW. So if you do that percentage, it's about 2.6% because I rounded down. There's 714,000 apartments in DFW. 19,000 of them are efficiencies. So 2.6%. What I find interesting is, well, first off, it kind of makes sense because you have smaller unit sizes. So the lowest amount of rent. So when you've got a lot of renters, well, you're going to have a significant demand And if that's the cheapest option, then a lot of people will want the cheapest option. But what I find interesting about it is when I started in apartment investing, I used to only want one and two bedroom apartments and predominantly two bedroom apartments because they were easier to rent or so I thought because with the two bedroom, when the times get tough, You can always rent someone who's looking for a one and just fill your two with that person who's looking for the one bedroom. Person who's looking for the one, they'll rent a two bedroom if the price is right or concession or something is fine or is what they're looking for. But if you have all one bedrooms and someone needs a two bedroom, they've got a significant other and a kid or two, well, they can't have a one bedroom. That makes sense. So there's less flexibility. So you have more flexibility with two bedrooms. But What this article was saying is there's such a small percent of efficiencies, at least in DFW, but likely other markets, that they go like crazy and the rent just increases more so than any other unit size. And that's because of recent college graduates. They need a place to live and they're, for the most part, not moving in with someone. And young professionals, too, who are out of college for three, four years, they still might be living in an efficiency. So the takeaway here is when you're looking at an apartment community and you see just efficiency units, don't necessarily dismiss that as an opportunity because it might be an opportunity for you to have greater rent increases relative to if it was all two bedrooms. Now you'll want to make sure you look at what the vacancy rate is for that unit type within your market. So you want to make sure there's demand and you want to logically know where those renters are coming from. Is there a college close by or is that an area where young professionals like to reside? Knowing those variables, you could very well come across an opportunity that's all efficiency where you initially would have dismissed it. But now after hearing this, perhaps you'll take a second look at it. Yeah, I've been seeing something similar in Florida. There's not many efficiencies here. I'm not sure what the number is. I haven't seen that many on rent rolls, but for the one bedroom compared to the two bedrooms, the rent per square foot is 10, 20, sometimes even 30 cents higher for the one bedrooms and for the large two bedrooms. And when doing rent comps across two bedrooms, it's more of, it's a two bedroom, two bedrooms rent for this, no matter what size they are, because you have a massive two bedroom renting at 900 bucks and then a smaller two bedroom renting at 875 and the dollars per square foot are way off because they're renting for the exact same. I've seen something similar in in Florida. So two things to consider, both an economy standpoint and also from selecting the assets that you want to underwrite and perhaps pursue to purchase. Great. I want to talk about one more thing before we move into the trivia question. And that is about a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. My business partner read that over break and he kind of took a two-week 
break from having our meetings. And then when we had our meetings, he had our apartment indication to-do list, like a, a shared Google document. And he had it filled out with the information he learned in the book. Because so I haven't read the book yet, but essentially it kind of follows the concept of if you're trying to fill up a jar with completely, you'd put the rocks in first and then the sand and then the water. And so the rocks are kind of like the priority. So your priority items are called rocks. And so you want to make your one-year rock and then your quarterly rocks. So we've got a list of what are the main things we want to accomplish this quarter. And then based off of that, we create a scorecard, which is very similar to the accredited investor engagement tracker that we have in our client program. And I don't think we've given that away for syndication school yet, but I'm pretty sure we will in future episodes. But essentially, it's a document where you can track all the different duties that you're doing that are bringing you closer to attracting passive investors. So posts on bigger pockets, recording podcasts, things like that. Do a list of all those, and then you have a goal. And then for each week, we fill in how many we've done. So, for example, Theo, bigger pockets posts, 50. So, how many have I done this week? And then we have an overall to do list. So, when we have our meetings, we can type in, okay, by next week, we're going to have these things completed. I just want to just mention that really quick. I know I went over that really quickly, but one of the things that we have at the top of our rock sheet is a quote, no deal is better than a bad deal. Just because one of the things that our issue lists was we've been looking at deals for around, I don't know, four or five months and haven't closed on one yet. So we don't want to push ourselves to be like, all right, we haven't done a deal in five months. We have to do the next deal that we get, even though it's a bad deal. We, you know, fudge the numbers and make it make sense. No, having no deal at all in the moment is much better than doing a bad deal and completely screwing ourselves over forever with those investors. So if you want to check out that book, Traction, I'm sure it's a pretty quick read and it's kind of just turning your business into doing what corporations do. Like when I work for Cummins, this is essentially exactly what we did as well. Yeah, it's great. I have not read it, so I don't know if it's good, but I like the concept that you're talking about. And what is your quarterly goal that you have? I'm filling it out tomorrow, but right now my three goals are to underwrite two deals a week, mm-hmm. meet in person with broker relationships. So meet in person with them, each of them at least once this quarter, and then train five underwriters. Which is funny because I had three and then I wrote this down and <laughs> I went to bigger pockets. They had two messages from people who were interested in underwriting. Cool. Five right, right there. All right. Nice. I wish I had brought this up last week on our goal setting talk, but fair enough. Alrighty, to the trivia question. So last week's trivia question was what MSA had the largest population growth in 2017? I think Joe guessed Dallas Fort Worth and that was in the top five for sure. The answer was actually Boise City, Idaho. So that was the MSA with the largest population growth percentage-wise. So not overall, percentage-wise. This week's question is going to be similar to last week's question, but it's going to be what MSA had the largest projected population growth in 2018? Obviously, 2018 data is not out yet, so they do do their projections. So what MSA had the largest projected population growth in 2018? So the question before that was 17? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is the same question, but for 18. Yeah, before it was actual because they had the data. Right, this right, was the projections. Okay, and it's percent increase, not total number increase. Percent increase. Ah, I'm going Fort Worth. I'm just stick to okay. my guns. I'm pretty sure Fort Worth was two or three. Ah, oh. If you don't guess Fort Worth, I think people will get this one. I was surprised, but I think people will get this one because it's not a Boise City, Idaho. It's more of a well-known area. So submit that question to either info at Joe Fairless com or comment on the YouTube video that you post. And if you get the correct answer, we'll send you a signed copy of the first book. 
if you're the first person to get the correct answer, mm-hmm. then we'll send you a signed copy of the best real estate investing best ever volume one. Sweet. The best ever conference in February, 2223, a little over a month away. This week, the featured speaker we're going to talk about is John Chang. It's very relevant to the conversation we had earlier about the economy because he is going to do a talk on his take on the commercial real estate economic outlook. So from what I've seen, I think it's just going to be him doing it. John Chang. No, that's his name. What's his title? <laughs> What's his, oh. He's with Marcus and Milichap. I don't know his title. Maybe you can find it, but I know what he does. And he is responsible for- Senior vice president. Senior vice president, but his focus is on forecasting where the economy is headed for Marcus and Milichap. He's phenomenal. And it will be a dynamic talk with a lot of value. And our whole conference is focused on commercial real estate. So he's actually going to kick it off on Friday morning. So tickets go up weekly. So you can secure a ticket now at besteverconference.com. And then lastly, we're going to do our review of the week. So if you submit a review on Amazon for the Best Ever Conference Indication book, we're up to 117 when I checked this morning. And send us a screenshot at info at We will send you a package of the free content that the people who pre-ordered the book received. This week's review is from Paul. Oh, wait. It's not the exact content people pre-ordered the book. We updated it some. Yeah. Um, and the reason why is because we wanted to reward the people who pre-ordered the book something extra special. So okay. it's a little bit different, but it's still good stuff. So Paul said, I consider myself a multifamily real estate professional having financed apartments for over 25 years. But moving from a provider of financing to being a sponsor encompassed much more. This book really helps to organize each step necessary to achieve your goals. Along the way, it goes beyond the mechanics and digs into the mindset necessary to achieve each step. When you combine this with the regular interviews contained in the Best Ever podcasts, the amount of useful information is abundant. I have not attended, but have also heard that the Best Ever conferences are also top-notch. That's on my list of things to do. Thanks to Joe and Theo for the excellent work and continued stream of content. I highly recommend this book. Paul, I hope to see you at the conference in February. And thank you for that review. And most importantly, glad that it is helpful for you as you evolve your focus in commercial real estate. Enjoyed our conversation, everyone. Theo, great catching up with you again, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Finally, there's a simple way to track rental performance. Stessa, our best ever sponsor, lets real estate investors track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate portfolios for free. Go to stessa.com forward slash best ever. You'll always know how your properties are performing with this dashboard. It's a beautiful looking dashboard. And it will help you save time with smarter income and expense tracking. You don't have to do any more data entry. Just upload the stuff directly from your phone. It tracks it in real time. Get organized for tax time with tax-ready financials so you can download them instantly. This thing was built by investors for real estate investors. It's been featured in all the publications you can think of. To get set up with your free account, just add your properties, link your accounts, and everything else updates in real time. Stessa.com forward slash best ever. S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best ever to get started. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? 
The Invest This podcast, hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer, interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com.